Okay, for our first message today, will be brought to us by Curtis Whiteley, and it's entitled, What is Truth? Good afternoon. It's uh, wonderful to be here today, see everyone's faces. Uh, just like to start off by just with a word of appreciation and thank you uh, for many of you have been praying for me in the past a few weeks with my new job situation uh, and you've also been praying for my wife Katie uh, through her pregnancy and uh, our son Asher is not quite here yet uh, but she is scheduled to be uh, induced on Tuesday so uh, just wanted to thank you guys for all your prayers and the situations that me and her have been through in the past nine months I guess it's been and uh, everything that has, you've been praying for has been asked has been uh, granted by God God's grace has been shed upon us and we're just so thankful uh, for having such a loving church family and brethren that deeply do care uh, for the things that we are going through and we both also care about every and each and are appreciative of all of you now today I would like to start by asking a question is it not obvious that we live in a world that is so full of mixed ideas I you know opinions philosophies and this is kind of a cliche I'm not saying anything that we don't know I mean it's almost old news to us we've lived in this world for many years and we've seen the way people think we see the ways of the world and of course when things such as when you're living here in the United States and you have political debates going on all the, all the time it seems like it you know these ideas and opinions start to get put on overdrive you know kind of full throttle and you start hearing people get a little bit more bit out of shape a little bit more uptight a little bit more vocal about what they think is truth about what their idea is okay you see the propaganda that's out there that tries to slander people and I was talking to Ron Wilhoyt before we went in here and he just I guess had a saying that the Republican Party and the Democrat Party are the on the same side of one coin minted in hell <laughs> and I thought that was funny and something that he just told me to kind of give to you that's not my material that's Ron okay not his okay but it, it's comical and we can sit here and laugh about it and I'm not here to talk anything political I'm not a political person I'll be quite frank uh, but I do live in this world and live in the United States and I am obviously interacting with many people just like every one of us and we do see how many views are out there many of them majority are so contrary to what the Word of God has to say that it almost becomes like we're walking in this vast valley of just pure darkness sometimes and not to be negative but we have to be real we have to be frank Jesus was frank about the world he walked in and we can't deny what's going on in our world now one of the most long-standing questions for humankind is the question of what truth is what's the meaning of life I would like to start out with a little video 
that just kind of eases us into this topic about what is truth today. And I think it kind of brings out a lot of the, the things that, I, that has inspired me to talk about this today and, and also kind of is natural for what we're going to be looking at. So I, I'll sit down, I'll let Brian put the video on, just a little introduction, just kind of ease us into this topic of what is truth. Have you ever stopped and wondered why you were here? Where did you come from? And what's the point of life? People on the TV tell us that life is all about making money, it's all about being famous, it's all about sex and, and things that make us happy because we're worth it. The more and more I hear about this, the less and less I believe it. And what about this idea that there's no such thing as absolute truth? People are telling us this all the time these days. So let me throw this out there. I believe everyone was created for a purpose and we are by no means here by accident. And get this, I believe I know the person who created me and despite what everyone else says, I believe that there is such thing as absolute truth. A man once said many, many years ago, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And for thousands of years, people have been set free by this truth. I know that man and I truly believe that he does speak the truth. Just in time. If uh, now the teens are probably familiar with this video, about a year ago we went through a series called Truth or Dare, and it was just a lot about the topic that I'm here to speak about today. But this video kind of brings out some of the things that we're going to be discussing. You know, this idea that there is no absolute truth. You know, what's truth true for one person might be not true for another, and vice versa. But they both might be true. Okay, I think sometimes there's so many ideas in the world, so many opinions, that people just sometimes give up and just say, well, maybe people are right. Maybe there isn't anything such as absolute truth. But we know that's a lie. We know that it is absolutely infathomable, illogical, to have a notion that there's no such thing as absolute truth. Today I'd like to bring to you three things. The first thing is I'd like us to look at just simply what truth is and our responsibility with it. The second thing I'd like us to ask is why it is so hard for people to accept and recognize the truth. And the last thing I'd like us to look at in conclusion is why we need God to show us the truth. Okay, so let's go back to that first point, what truth is and our responsibility with it. And I think to begin, 
it's only natural to go to what inspired the title of this split sermon today, which is Pilate's Question Before Jesus. So let's turn to John, the 18th chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse 33. This is such an intriguing, long-standing, popular question. It almost kind of hits you in the forehead what Pilate asked Jesus, considering the situation. John 18, we're going to pick it up in verse 33 just to give you some context. Jesus was rested. He is tried before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And now the Jews, the Sanhedrin, are going to bring him before Pilate, the Roman governor. Verse 33 says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servant would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is, in the, is of the truth hears my voice. Then Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. So Jesus Christ is before a very powerful man, this man named Pilate, who was appointed the, the governor of Judea, who is in charge of of all of Judea, has the powers over everyone's lives, and has the powers to reverse verdicts or to pass verdicts that have been passed by the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was in control of appointing high priests. He was in control of the temple, and he was even in control of its monies. And in this instant, it was Pilate, the governor over all Judea, that had to certify this verdict that the Sanhedrin brought upon Jesus, that he was guilty of blasphemy according to their law. And it was unlawful for them to put him to death, so they were bringing him before the powerful man among Jude Judeans, Pilate the governor. Now, as Pilate and Jesus are interacting, Pilate begins asking just simply, what have you done? Is this true? They're accusing you to be king of the Jews. Are you the king? That they say that you are? And Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. Because it wasn't. His kingdom was not limited to the idea of kingdom that they had in their minds. They thought in worldly ways. They thought fleshly. They thought humanly, which is very limited. But Jesus says these words, that he came for this purpose, which is to bear witness to the truth. And the next thing is very telling. I think it's not just telling about the way Pilate thought. I think it's telling about just the way people in Jesus' day thought. Pilate asked the question, very perplexed, what is truth? But such a question. It's so telling about the mindset 
of people of Jesus' day. I mean, here is a governor over all Judea, a very powerful man. He has the hands of Jesus' fleshly life that he has the power to be able to put him to death or the power to set him free. And he doesn't understand this question. He's living even in a day that's 2,000 years ago when he still doesn't understand the concept of truth. What is truth? You know, Pilate as a Roman was a part of the Roman Empire who was heavily influenced by the Greek philosophies, and we know this. And we see evidence of this that truth was something that was extremely confusing even in Jesus' day. We, we remember Paul, Paul going to Athens on Mars Hill and looking at all the statues and shrines of all the gods and even to the unknown God, which was supposed to designate the God of the Bible, the Hebrew God. They didn't deny the Hebrew God. They just wanted to add, them, add him to their collection, to their polytheistic system of gods because they were open to everything. They were much like a lot of people are today. They didn't believe in this absolute truth. They believed in many different truths. And they fueled the confusion of the world back then, just like our leaders today. Our so-called experts fuel the confusion of our day. So let's ask the question, what does the Bible have to say about this truth? Pilate asked this question, what is truth? Let's look at what truth is according to the Word of God and our responsibility with it. Let's go to Ephesians, the first chapter, and pick it up in verse 13. And let's see that the gospel message is truth. We're going to start here with the gospel message is truth. And Ephesians 1, verse 13 says, In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So the gospel of your salvation, the word of truth. And Paul right here, it's almost like he's kind of going back and looking at the natural process of conversion. You know, our conversion, how did it come? Did it not come from hearing the truth of God to hearing the words of God? Just like the scripture says, that faith comes from hearing the word of God. And when we heard that gospel message, what do we do? We acted upon it. Okay? God brought that message to us. We heard it and we believed it. And naturally, we accepted it. We were baptized. We received God's Holy Spirit. And this message of the gospel is something that is able to save us because it is of the truth. And it is of the truth because it is of God. It originated with God. Through this truth, God has called me and you. This message is of God. Through this truth, God has worked miracles. And we see that God worked miracles in Jesus' day, before Jesus' day, since Jesus' day, and even today. Through this truth, God has turned the world upside down. If we remember that in Jesus' day, right after he was crucified, the early church, the disciples that became apostles, who were going to bear witness of Jesus, all the things he did, all the things he said. And what was it that was said about these Christians? That they had turned the world upside down. The Roman Empire was in an upheaval because of this measly little group 
of believers in Jesus. And they could do nothing about it. They could put down Carthage. They could put down all these different empires around them. But for some reason, this measly little group of men that started out with just a little over 100 people, they couldn't deal with them. They could not fight against these men's gospel, the gospel message they were bringing, which was of God, because it was of the truth. And the truth does not become stagnant. It grows. Let's go to 2 Timothy, the second chapter. We're going to see that the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God is called the word of truth. And I'll just let you know, we're going to look at more scriptures than I'm used to presenting to you, but I think it's necessary to kind of get a well-rounded perspective on what the word of truth has to say about truth. Because this is the only place you will find absolute truth, right here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. So Paul right here is writing to an individual, Timothy. And Timothy right now is a part of the ministry. He's going to be involved in preaching the word of God. And Paul says right here that it's very important not to take these words, which is the word of truth, for granted. Don't be sloppy with it. Be a steward. Be a good steward. Treat them as they are, holy scriptures, holy words of God. And we as Christians, we have to be diligent. That means that we have to give extra devoted effort to make sure that we properly interpret these scriptures that we properly impart these truths correctly you know the opposite of this is to distort the scriptures to wrongly divide the word of God and we understand what does that do when someone wrongly divides the word of God it, the world is full of it it's not just Christians who are interested in what the Bible has to say you can go to a bookstore today you can go in through the religious section you'll find hundreds of books written by Atheist scholars that devote their life to just distorting the Bible, distorting the words of truth, not respecting it, and distorting the message. False teachers, false prophets. The opposite of this is distort it into what is a lie. And we know if it's a lie, it's not of God. So we must rightly divide the word of truth in our interpretations because it is through the way we interpret these words of truth that is going to depend and be contingent upon the way we apply them in our lives. Our interpretation is going to be the first thing that affects the way we take in these scriptures for them to work in our lives. And just as a carpenter must be extremely precise and accurate in his field of work, so we... The bearers and stewards of God's truth. God's words must be diligent when we interpret them. And especially when we try to impart these truths to others. So the Bible is called the word of truth. And we must be diligent. We must be very faithful towards them. We must put in effort. And make sure that we rightly divide these words. That our interpretations will be correct. Let's go to John the 8th chapter. And we're going to see... One of the primary purposes of truth. The primary purpose of truth is that the truth 
is meant to set us free. John the 8th chapter, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. Now this was something that wasn't necessarily extremely common. Many of the people that Jesus interacted with did believe him, but many of them did not. But these people happened to believe in him. And what he says to them is intriguing because it says, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God's purpose for his truth is liberty, redemption, freedom. The truth of God is to meant, meant to set us free. And we can talk about the way it's meant to set us free as far as our enslavement to sin, our redemption, our salvation, but it's meant to set us free from darkness. To be able to see how the world really is. To be able to see truth. To be able to see the world in a correct viewpoint, in a correct perception. The reason we need God is because without Him we are enslaved. Enslaved to sin. Enslaved to this world, its philosophies, ways, corruptions, and illusions. And many of the things this world has to bring us is nothing but an illusion. We can talk about people that talk about medical advancement. And I think it's interesting and good that we are able to learn more about the human body. And it's good that we are able to learn more about the anatomy of the Bible, or excuse me, the anatomy of the human body. But I've had conversations where people who are agnostic don't believe in God, and they put their faith in medical advancement. That someday med medicine's gonna get so advanced that we can just get a shot, live forever, or live 300 years. And people fool themselves in believing this. And even if you did get a shot, if you got a shot and you were able to live an extra three, four, five hundred years, what does that mean? It's an illusion because in the end, it all turns out the same. All you are is a rat on a wheel. It's an illusion. You're not being redempted. You're not being redeemed. You're not being saved. It's an illusion. It's fake. So people tend to be talked into these things because they don't realize what they're saying. But here Jesus gives us the way to abide in him and to abide in his truth, which is obedience and faithfulness to his teachings. Obedience is key to being able to abide in Jesus' truth, in God's truth. Without obedience, truth cannot work in us. Truth is alive. If something's alive, it means it grows. And if we're not abiding, if we're not obedient to God, it cannot grow in us. Let's go to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. And like I said, we're looking at a lot of scriptures to get a good survey. More scriptures than I usually bring, but it was hard for me to leave out these passages of all the different things that the Bible and the Word of God has to say about truth. This right here, this passage gives us, as God's church, a responsibility. The church is meant to protect the truth. Verse 14 says, These things I write to you, Paul, writing to Timothy again, though I hope to come to you shortly, 
But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God and the pillar and ground of the truth. As believers, we are a part of God's household. We are members of God's holy house. And because of this, we must act accordingly. We have been made stewards of God's truth and we must protect it. We must nourish it. We must live by it and we must uphold it. God's truth is something that we have to value and not take for granted. This world can sometimes get to us to the point where it's easy for the world to, to grab us, to get us intrigued with other things, to get us focusing on maybe some of the ways of the world. But we must realize that we are so blessed to have God's truth and to know that there is such a thing as absolute truth and that God is the originator of it. Let's go to just over back to chapter 3. Actually, let's go to 2 Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3, verse 1, says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but, not, but denying its power. And from such people turn away. And right here we see that Paul tells us the antidote to this. That we are to turn away from people like this. And we understand that we sometimes cannot completely avoid running into people who behave like this. Let's understand we have to live in the world. We have jobs. We have to go. We have to interact with people. We have to make a living. But we must do everything we can to be diligent when we realize that we're around people like this. We have to realize that the people that we come into contact with has a big influence on the way we act. It's true. Four of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is so intriguing. Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's kind of how the world we live in, because we do have advancements in science, advancements in technology. But all of that is in vain if you leave God out. It means nothing. Always learning, always advancing, but never coming to the, no to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 8 says, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. And it's unfortunate, but this is the world we live in. This is real. And this is something we see all around us. Our world is so full of selfish gain, people with vain ambition, so many people who are opposed to God's truth, living in a world just like the judges period, where everyone does what is right in their own mind. As verse 7 mentions, it seems that no matter how many discoveries we make, how, many, how much knowledge we have, people in our world 
experts, scientists, still search in vain for the real truth. I'm skip ahead real quick and ask the question, why is it so hard for people to recognize the truth? Why is it that so hard for people to recognize the truth? The, the truth, it's, it's real simple. And that is because people do everything they can searching for truth and leave God absent. Leave God out of it. Consider the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Jesus came in contact with many men, came in contact with many people. And still, it's very telling and frank some of the things that he says to them. Because they were relying on their own resources, on their own ways of thinking to discover truth, just like people do today. And Jesus frankly tells them this. And the consequence of this is more tragic than what they were doing. The consequence of this is that the Jewish people in Jesus' day had the Savior of all mankind that the prophecies, scriptures prophesied, and they missed him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand him. Let's go to John the 8th chapter real quick. And verse 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. You judge according to to the flesh. I judge no one, and yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. They couldn't recognize Jesus because they were relying on the flesh. They weren't deciphering things by the Spirit, like Jesus. Jesus was relying on God the Father. The Jews were relying on their traditions and the flesh. Let's ask the question in closing. Why do we need God to show us the truth? And we can just say, well, we just need God because He created us. And be, you know, that'd be our answer. But I think we all would agree that we do need God to understand the truth. And there's a very good reason for this. It's simple. We are man, and that means we're limited. We're limited in our perceptions. We're limited in our sight. We are biased, fleshly humans who cannot help but allow our experiences distort our perceptions. We don't see reality as it really is because everything distorts our vision. Only God is above this. Only God can see things as they really are in reality because He's not limited to the same functions that we are limited to. He has no distortion. He has no limitations. He sees reality as they are. He has no partiality. We need God because only He can see reality as it really is. He is not hindered. He's not biased. He doesn't have experiences that 
tailor him a certain way, but he sees things as they really are. So in conclusion, and some application that we can think of, there's five things I'd like to bring real quick. Number one, God's words are the truth. The Bible, the gospel, that is the truth. Those words are living and they can change every one of us. And they are meant to change us. They aren't meant for us to receive so we can stay the same. But they're meant for us to receive so we can be changed. And that change should be in the form of growth. Number two, as God delivers us the truth, we have the responsibility to acting upon it because it is alive. We must nourish, protect, uphold, and live by it. We must be obedient to what this truth says. Number three, the truth is, a, is meant to change our lives and it's meant to bear fruit in genuine Christians' lives. And just like false prophets, we will know them by their fruits, so you will know a true disciple of Jesus Christ by his or her fruits. Number four, people cannot understand truth because they rely on their own flesh to decipher it. And because of this, they rely on darkness. Because of this, they can't see because they're not in the light. They're always in the darkness. And if you're in the dark looking for something, you'll never be able to find it until you allow the light to guide you. And number five, the last one. Only through God can we come to the knowledge of the truth because only Him is limitless when it comes to seeing reality as it really is. So the question is, what is truth? The sum of all truth is God's words. That is truth.